Hello, and welcome to episode 2.10, the Lunar New Year edition of Notes from the Isle Seat, the podcast that covers the arts in northern Chautauqua County, sponsored by the 1891 Fredonia Opera House. My name is Tom Lachlan, and I'm your host as we bring you news and information about arts events at the Opera House and around the region, including interviews with artists and creators across the county. You're listening to an arrangement of the well-known Chinese folk song Mo Li Hua, performed by the San Francisco vocal group Chanticleer, and arranged by one of this episode's guests, Dr. Chen Yi. Asian cultures and communities around the globe are celebrating the Lunar New Year, which began with the new moon on January 21st, and will continue until the full moon on February 5th. The Lunar New Year is often celebrated as the beginning of spring, So despite the fact that the weather has been gloomy, chilly, and wet, I personally welcome any kind of holiday or event that will offer some springtime hope. We'll have a little bit more to say about that, I suppose, after the groundhog does his annual prognosticating on February 2nd. In the meantime, keep that sun lamp handy and the vitamin D ready as we plow through the remainder of the astronomical winter. once, Auntie. You knew love. You can't deny it. No, I was touched once, yes. But one must train the mammary to forget. Love outflank you on the left, did she? Twas many years ago when my heartstrings was first twanged by Cupid's wandering testicles. <laughs> Summer season in Bridlington. I was a wide-eyed slip of a thing, full to the quim with relish. I was traversing the public lawns, admiring Bridlington's award-winning perineums, when I tumbled headlong in love with the gardener's young appendage. Our eyes met and I made an involuntary emission. In no time we came on each other, breathless beneath the ornamental burglar. Your Uncle Horace the next day at a champagne reception for visiting indignities, and the blueprint of what might have been was neatly folded and placed into the bottom drawer of what my life became. That's the voice of British comedic actor Carolyn Quentin in the role of Mrs. Malaprop from the upcoming National Theatre HD presentation of Jack Absolute Flies Again 
on Saturday, February 4th at 1 p.m. at the Fredonia Opera House. This is a rescheduling of this performance, which was snowed out during the November snowstorm. It's a rewrite of the comedy of manners play, The Rivals, by Richard Brinsley Sheridan. And here to give us a little more insight and context for this show is Professor Emeritus Dr. Jim Ivey. So I'm pleased to be joined for the very first time on this podcast, in fact, Dr. James Ivey. Dr. Ivey was professor of theater uh, at uh, SUNY Fredonia. He is an emeritus now and um, managed to get himself out of the area to much warmer and friendlier climes out in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Welcome, Jim. Hi, Tom. It's great to be here. I am uh, so happy to be a part of this uh, event and to be a part of your podcast and to support the 1891 Fredonia Opera House, which was a very special part of my uh, 19 years uh, living in the Fredonia area. And I uh, am very honored to be a part of uh, this effort. So. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks for that, Jim. It's, it's, it's been, it's been fun so far. We hope, uh, I hope I can continue it for quite a while. Um <laughs> Now, uh, you and I are here to talk about um, Jack Absolute Flies Again. It was supposed to be produced at the Opera House, was going to be a showing, and then we had the November event, and I believe it got snowed out, and it's been rescheduled. Uh, so I'm having a chance to uh, – I, I was going to talk to you in November, so talk to you now about this particular play from the National Theater. It is – a rewrite of a restoration comedy entitled The Rivals by Richard Brinsley Sheridan. And I thought perhaps what I would start off with is having you give us a little background about the original play itself, the author, and, you know, the whole concept of what restoration comedy was about. So you can just take it away. Sure. Thanks. Um, Sheridan uh, lived from 1751 to 1816. Um, when he was born, the restoration period had been virtually over for about 70 years. The restoration of Charles II to the throne in 1660 um, ushered in a style of comedy called Comedy of Manners, and it was became very popular and uh, utilized uh, stock characters and stock situations. And that... Um, uh, comedy of Manners was um, so popular because the um, aristocracy that was going to the theater recognized themselves in some of these plays. Remember that we're also still in the time of censorship, and so plays had to uh, uh, <clears throat> be approved by the Lord Chamberlain and the, uh, at that time, I think they still had the Master of the Revels, which was mm -hmm. an Elizabethan uh, position. And so... In this um, comedy of manners, what we're still in, using a five-act structure that was as true to Shakespeare and all of his contemporaries. Um, and it was uh, performed at Covent Garden in 1775. Sheridan, by the way, was um, Irish, um, actually. And he um, bought David Garrick, the famous actor, he bought David Garrick's share with some other investors uh, which was a, the half share of the entire theater of Covent Garden. And as he did so, um, no, I'm sorry, it was, he was a half share at Drury Lane. But Drury Lane. Performed at Covent Garden in 1775. Well, it was poorly received. Uh, the Rivals was not an overnight success. And Sheridan 
very sensibly pulled the production from um, the repertory. He rewrote it in 11 days. He addressed some of the concerns of the audience that were booing um, its original performance. And then they performed it again. And then it became very popular um, and was a, uh, a staple in the Amer in the not only the British theater, but in the, even in the American theater. Um, it was performed uh, by the for the royal family as command performance uh, over five times in its first 10 years of existence. Wow. And George Washington was even considered he even considered the rivals to be his favorite play. <laughs> so um, it didn't take long for that uh, British imports to make an impact in America. Um, the comedy of manners is a, uh, a witty um, form of comedy, a very um, using language in a very unique way. Um, um, it satirizes the manners and the affectations of any contemporary society. And we see comedy of manners not only in the Restoration, but now over a hundred years later, um, when Sheridan writes his play, The Rivals, and the, the School for Scandal, which was one of my plays that, one play I directed at Fredonia, um, that was um, probably not considered to be as good as The Rivals, mm -hmm. but uh, still a, a very witty and funny uh, comedy of manners. The, uh, the One of the lasting legacies of this particular play, The Rivals, is the character of Mrs. Malaprop, the character that um, uh, uses words, the incorrect words, sometimes for the... Uh, uh, the to make the right point, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, sometimes she sometimes she says uh, exactly what she means to say, but utilizing the the wrong words. Um, in this new play, um, Jack Absolute uh, flies again. Mrs. Malaprop is a character um, in the play, and she is uh, played by my, the reports that I have of mm -hmm. this play. I have to admit that I have not been able to see Jack Absolute flies again, but Caroline Quentin, who plays Mrs. Malaprop in Jack Absolute, um, probably got some of the best reviews of what I have been able to uh, gain through uh, my reading. Um, so that's kind of um, the a comedy of manners style that we still see at work. Um, and it still is uh, is valid even today. It's is this play. I think it was has enjoyed a pretty uh, popular uh, audience uh, at the National Theater, um, as well as it's it's probably venturing out uh, now that it has closed at the National Theater. It's probably venturing out to the uh, the smaller regional houses um, in uh, in England as well. So there we yeah. go. There you go. I I, I you know. A, a couple of things I think to 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 pick up from that. Um, Jack Absolute flies again. Is set in England during World War II, um, and uh, during, in particular, the Battle of Britain. Um, and instead of you know the leisure uh, the leisure class or the the wealthy nobility of England, they've substituted uh, the. Um, war heroes as it were uh the jack absolute of this play is a sort of a hot shot british pilot uh his father anthony absolute is a british general um so there's a there's a whole uh military aspect attached to it and uh, fr from the trailers that i have seen it seems like that that really uh uh 
plays well as far as matching what uh, Sheridan would have wanted with what we can bring a more modern sensibility to that play. Yeah. And, um, and then there is also um, a, a somewhat of a, a national effort um, on the part of the, um, the men in the, the play Jack absolute so that the uh, Sir Anthony absolute Jack's father is also um, in uniform and committed to the the war effort. Uh, Jack is surrounded by some of his um, contemporaries. Um, in the this production, they are um, a, sort of a ragtag bunch of characters, Bob Akers, Lucius O'Trigger, um, which was a an Irish character that um, some people thought when um, Sheridan was writing it that it was... Um, inflammatory towards Irish people, um, forgetting that Sheridan himself was Irish. But the um, it calls for, in what I've uh, gathered, is that there's a need for the young men to go off and fight the war, and there's also a need for these young men and this group of suitors to Lydia Languish mm -hmm. um, that Jack is enamored with. The, the suitors are all um, uh, in... In, enlisted in the uh, the war effort. They are pilots as well. Um, there is a uh, colorblind casting in that they have a Sikh pilot mm -hmm. who is uh, a member of the uh, Jack's contemporaries and the pilots that uh, are in the play. And um, that probably wouldn't have happened in World War II, um, but nonetheless, the the uh, the National Theater and their efforts to uh, um, look across color lines in terms of their casting, as is Lydia Languish um, in the in the play also. So so the very silly youth that Jack represents, along with uh, Bob Akers and Lucius O'Trigger, that those silly youth need to shape up, and uh, Sir Anthony uh, makes an effort towards that. He's Anthony being um, uh, sort of a, a foil to Mrs. Malaprop um, has many comic moments and uh, the performance there by the actor is uh, apparently he gives a, a very, very uh, fun performance. Um, also worth mentioning is that Jack will be in disguise. Aha, um, I was going to get another, to that. Another comic device that is used in the comedy of manners. Um, Jack knows that Lydia the object of his affections is in love with a, or pretends to be in love with a man, young man named Dudley Scunthorpe. <laughs> British name. Wow. <laughs> and so Jack is going to be pretending to be Dudley Scunthorpe in order to, just to get close to Lydia. Um, and so then with all the other suitors, the, um, much like um, a taming of the shrew with uh, Grumio, Gremio, uh, and all of the other um, suitors in that play, um, it's a kind of a wild uh, um, arrangement of, of, of exuberant youth trying to uh, uh, achieve union. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I'm I'm really interested to, to see when I finally get to see this play and this performance. Is that there is a um, a period dance where the entire cast uh, joins in a Lindy Hop number yeah. 
that is um, looks pretty spectacular. It looks really like a lot of fun. Yes, as I, as we said, you and I have only seen trailers of this show. So, but it, the trailers just make it look uh, very, very entertaining and promising. Now, I'm going to ask you uh, uh, one one final issue um, that I think. Uh, brings this particular play to the to the fore in terms of contemporary sensibilities is um the 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 uh, characters of the females now uh one of the things that restoration comedy did was in fact for the first time in england put women on the stage right because right. uh, uh, when uh, when Charles II was restored, he had seen um, French comedy, he had seen Moliere, and he had seen women on the stage, and he was absolutely enthralled with that. And when he came back and reopened up all the theaters, the first thing he says he said was, let women come on. So, you know, during that particular period in time, women were now a novelty on the stage, women actually playing women. And it looks like in Jack Absolute Flies Again, we have that same sensibility where Lydia Languish considers himself herself to be a very, you know, free, liberated uh, 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 female. So there's a there's a little bit of a parallel there, too. There definitely is. Um, the um, in the restoration period, when the women uh, were finally uh, sanctioned uh, legally to appear on the stage, um, actresses became um, stars uh, overnight. Um, it's worth mentioning that Charles II had a mistress. Her name was Nell Gwynn. She had a short career, but it was very successful. But in Jack Absolute, that's true. Um, I think that um, what I've what I've seen and what I've read is that um, those characters, particularly um, in um, in this play, are uh, asserting themselves um, in British society. Um, they are a part of the war effort um, in this play. They are supporting the men, but they're also uh, speaking out for themselves and uh it's a and there's some very frank language in jack absolute um as when it comes to the um the body parts <laughs> of uh, the gentleman um yes. and so there's some very frank language so some of that may uh come across to some of you the viewers as a uh a little uh, uh salacious risque shall we <laughs> say somewhat risque yeah um, yes but the but the women the women all in the play are 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 in that sense very liberated well it, i think it's i think from what we've seen from what you and i've seen and what we know about restoration comedy this should be a very very entertaining time in the opera house to, to be able to see this and the national always does a superb job with their productions yeah. Yes. Uh, Jim, I want to thank you for your uh, uh, erudition and giving us all that background. I think that, you know, knowing what you're at least sort of the context of what you're going to go into view, if you go see Jack Absolute Flies Again, is uh, will, will help make the play even even that much uh, uh, funnier. And, uh, and I'll be talking to you again soon, very soon, because I know that we also have uh, Chekhov's The Seagull coming. So we'll get you on for that. And uh, uh prepare the uh, listeners for that particular national theater. Actually, we have a lot of national theater presentations coming this season. So it, we're very uh, lucky to have this, uh, these incredible plays performed by uh, amazing uh, companies and uh, consummate professionals all the way across the board. So yeah. it's, uh, it's great. If you're out in Santa Fe, you got to come see me. Love okay. It. <laughs> I will do that, Jim. There's no problem about that. <laughs> All right. Listen, thanks very much. Uh, you take care. We'll be talking to you again soon. Okay. Great. 
The screening of the National Theatre's production of Jack Absolute Flies Again will take place on Saturday, February 4th at 1 p.m. Tickets are $15 general admission and $10 for students. An absolute bargain for this kind of quality theatre. Tickets are available online or by calling the 1891 Fredonia Opera Box Office at 716-679-1891. The National Theatre Live Series is made possible through the sponsorship of Dr. James and Marcia Merrins. The School of Music at SUNY Fredonia is holding its second residency of the inaugural Sorel Visiting Artist from February 2nd through 4th. Named after the late distinguished professor and chair of piano, the Claudette Sorel Visiting Artist Series is intended to bring significant artists and scholars for residencies at the School of Music. Dr. Chen Yi from the University of Missouri, Kansas City will join a panel discussing women in music on Thursday, February 2nd, and a concert of some of her works celebrating the Lunar New Year will be performed at the Roush Recital Hall on February 3rd and 4th. I had the honor of talking to her about her life in China and her subsequent musical career in the United States. Uh, it's a great honor for me at this point to uh, welcome onto the podcast Dr. Chen Yi. Uh, Dr. Chen has so many titles, I don't know which of them to begin with, but I do know that she is the Lorena Searcy Cravens, Millsap, Missouri Distinguished Professor of Composition at the University of Missouri, Kansas City Conservatory for Music. So we will start there. Dr. Chen, welcome to the program and happy uh, Lunar New Year to you. Oh, thank you. Uh, Professor Tom Lundlin, very much I feel grateful to you uh, for inviting me uh, to be uh, meeting our audience uh, and listeners. I am so honored. Thank you. I, I want to say from the opening that in listening to your music, um, my first impression was that I, I, I wasn't I didn't feel like I was listening to music in the way I understand it, but I felt like I was listening to music as if it was an experience of something. Um, is, is that a good place for us to start with your composition? 
Yes, this is a great approach. And when we appreciate music, uh, you might uh, hear something uh, as inspiration uh, from your life or, or from uh, anything surrounding you. I, I thought that that is uh, uh, what the music is. Uh, if you ask me about the language because you thought that you feel so new <laughs> or, or from the point of um, uh, uh, classical music. Uh, and I should tell you that I have been a classical music musician for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I started uh, learning the piano when I was three. Mm -hmm. uh, I was born in China in the 50s. Uh-huh. Early fifties, but my parents they both are medical doctors, uh, who love classical music, uh -huh. and so that's why maybe that became my, uh, education background, and then I started learning the violin, uh, from four years old, wow. <laughs> nonstop, yeah, nonstop, and and then uh. At the Cultural Revolution, when I was a teenager, uh, I was sent to countryside to work as a farmer, uh, which is a hard labor work. Uh, it was for the first time you had a bare feet and running on the ground and <laughs> on the field and working every day uh, um, to grow all kinds of vegetables and rice. All this, uh, it was a very uh, a new experience for me. Uh -huh. uh, I thought that during that 10 years, I, I, I did overcome the hardship. I thought that I also learned the value of uh, civilization and education uh, from the local farmers. So um, you you overcame that to go to the Central Conservatory of Music in Beijing. You got your BA and you were also the first woman ever to get a master's degree from that institution. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, uh, from the Central Conservatory of Music in Beijing, because it was like a 20,000 Africans in 1977. 20,000? Yeah, I, I didn't know then because I was in Guangzhou, which is far away from Beijing, like, like uh, 2,000 miles at least away um, but they send professors uh, all over to different districts uh, to give exams which is the first public exam given uh, after the cultural revolution and so uh, that's why we had received how many 32 composers in one year i was the only composition student from Guangzhou. And and how did you eventually come to the United States? Um, was that for uh, education or? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, because when I have gone through uh, my undergrad degree for five years, right? And then three more years as a master degree student, right? Um, to get my master degree from uh, the same conservatory, the Beijing Central Conservatory in Beijing. And then, uh, 
I was accepted by Columbia University in the city of New York. Uh, um, Professor Zhou Wenzhong, by then, uh, uh, who was leading the composition program in New York, and uh, who had also uh, visited China as a visiting professor after the opening. And my husband, Zhou Long, came first. Uh, one year before me, because he was admitted in 1985 after being a resident composer of the uh, China Radio Symphony ah. for two years. And he came to Columbia University to study uh, in the doctoral program. Mm -hmm. And in the subsequent year, uh, because I needed the third year of a study uh, to get my master degree in Beijing, that's why I applied the the subsequent year, and I was also accepted. So we came to Columbia University to study, and and so here you are with your uh, uh, DMA and uh, and an, and an astounding career. You have written. Uh, some some amazing compositions, and obviously a lot of the thrust of your your music has been um, uh, I I would uh, uh, call it a fusion between um, uh, Chinese uh, 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 music, uh, folk songs, things like that, and you know just a modern contemporary uh, uh, orchestration. Would would that be accurate? Uh, yes, yes, uh, because uh, I. I didn't mention to you that in Beijing Central Conservatory, uh, when you are a composition major, the requirements not only re include Western music, classical music, basic training uh, with all these techniques, uh, which would go through uh, what? Harmony, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Counterpoint, those are the technical classes. And then uh, uh, we also have very strict training systematically for Chinese traditional music, which would have four categories. Uh, I would name some of you, uh, uh, to you, uh, Chinese folk songs mm -hmm. that covers all different regions and minority groups uh, and sung in different dialects. And, and then we have a Chinese traditional instrumental music that could go to uh, ensemble music and also solo instrumental music that could cover like a blowing instruments, like the winds, woodwinds, right? And also uh, plucking instruments, like uh, all this uh, uh, that you don't find in Western orchestra, right? Right. And then you also have a theater, right? Theater would include more uh, categories because you would go through all these singing, reciting, uh, uh, performance actions, and uh, makeup, and <laughs> all this <laughs> stage setting. And and then you you would have a kind of a musical storytelling. Uh -huh. uh, which would mean half speaking, half um, singing, mm -hmm. and that kind of a combination. Um, so we, I I have learned a lot from this because you really went uh, down to the earth. You know what the folk culture would be, and, and you learn them systematically because you are taught uh, in theory. 
and also you memorize all these tunes. Uh, and, and so that became a part of my creative musical language. Uh, I, I thought that that is important. Yeah, it's very important in 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 your work. I I, I want to pick out a couple of I know what I listen to, and I want to pick a couple of them, just a couple of them, and touch on, and give you my impression of them. Uh, there was a choral piece I listened to called "Spring Dreams." Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you for mentioning this. <laughs> I I would love the performance of the Fredonia University's choirs because this piece was written for an excellent college choir. Yes, <laughs> that was a uh, uh, premiere by uh, Itaka College, uh, uh-huh. uh, and when. Uh, they commissioned me this piece and did the premiere in Itaka College. And I took the ancient poem from uh, Tang Dynasty. And then I, I thought that it would be good to trace back uh, to the traditional uh, culture by learning the literature and share with many more. And then this poem also treasures the uh, falling petals um, and that would go through the very deep meaning because we also treasure uh, the lives lost and and that piece was also uh, written after 911 and I thought that uh, I uh, also use this kind of um, metaphor to take the ancient poem to current to modern history to our feeling to treasure the beauties and to treasure uh, the lives of um, uh, uh, the people who uh, work so hard to save uh, people in the society and and this piece also has two versions like uh, using the same poem mm-hmm. uh, but sung in Chinese or English. So this was the first uh, uh, song I wrote on this uh, uh, text, and that was sung in Chinese. Mm. And I think that this uh, could be considered a pair, like a a pair of uh, choral pieces that I wrote. One sung in Chinese, the other sung in English. Yes, it it is. It was. Uh, I I think I heard the Chinese version, and it really was just musically stunning. Something else I found. Another one I heard was the Fisherman's Song, and that's such a lovely piece. <laughs> can, <laughs> oh yes, yes. Can you can you tell me a little about that one? That was um, a duet for violin and piano, mm-hmm. uh, written when I was a freshman. In Central Conservatory. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a huge time different. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, and and that one and has taken the materials, but not the real tunes from Guangzhou folk song because uh, uh, Guangzhou, Guangdong is a southern um, place, right? Near Hong Kong. And so I grew up there. I was born there and I am familiar with the tunes. Mm-hmm. And so I could easily uh, sing out with some like uh, the 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 um, 
the pitches that would form specific melodies that could remind you of that kind of folk songs from the yes. region. So, so that is from Southern Chinese. Uh, so fisherman's song uh, is easy to understand because uh, the city and the province is near the river, yes. near the Pearl River, and, and is uh, like a uh, I would say uh, near Hong Kong, you can go out to the sea very easily. <laughs> and, and that was the culture uh, from my early age. And so I took it for my freshman <laughs> composition homework. <laughs> that was my homework. Yeah, it's a nice one too. And, and I, I, I have to ask you about one, one more piece. I could ask you about a lot of them, but just this one more piece because I think it's it's probably a little bit more familiar to the Western audiences. You have an arrangement of probably the most famous uh, Chinese traditional folk song in, in China, Moli Hua, which also Giuseppe Verdi used in his production of Turandot. And you have an arrangement of that that I heard a, a Hawaiian choral group sing. Wow. Uh, yes, because this is one of my 10 uh, a set of uh, Chinese folk songs for uh, arranger for choir, SATB, uh, originally uh, written for Chanticleer. You know Chanticleer? Chanticleer, yes, yes, I do. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, 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 I have been the resident composer for the Women's Philharmonic and Chanticleer and Aptos Middle School in San Francisco okay. for three years after I earned my doctoral degree from Columbia University. So I moved out to Bay Area uh, to serve as a resident composer. And this I should uh, mention that I have uh, been together with Chanticleer to sing in 11 middle schools in Bay Area of my a set of Chinese folk songs. And Chanticleer uh, went international touring with my piece. Oh, uh, with my, nice. I said, uh, yeah, wherever they went, and people recognize uh, the tunes, uh, and they clap hands when they open their mouths. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those pieces they told. Dr. Chen, I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but I only have such a limited time. It's a shame. Um, so I, I, I am unfortunately forced to end it here. Um, but I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming both onto my podcast and also to SUNY Fredonia as the uh, Claudette Sorel uh, uh, inaugural visiting artist. And thank you, Professor Tom uh, Lolling. And I also thank uh, for our colleagues in uh, Fredonia University because uh, uh, you honor me and you taught me to share my experience with um, our students. It's my great honor. Great. Um, and good luck in the year of the rabbit. Thank you. You're welcome. The panel discussion on women in music featuring Dr. Chen will be held on Thursday, February 2nd from 8 to 10 p.m. with musical concerts on Friday, February 3rd from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. and Saturday, February 4th from 8 to 10 p.m. All events are in the Rausch Recital Hall and are free and open to the public. Here is the arts calendar for January 25th through February 8th, 2023. 
Portrait of the Queen, a documentary on the life and times of Queen Elizabeth II, will be screened at the 1891 Fredonia Opera House on Saturday, January 28th at 1 p.m. Tickets are $15 for the general public and $10 for students. The cinema series at the Opera House continues in January and February with two offerings, Empire of Light, featuring Olivia Coleman, Michael Ward, and directed by Sam Mendes, screens on Saturday, January 28th, and Tuesday, January 31st. The Banshees of Inisherin, a tragic comedy set in Ireland, directed by the Irish playwright Martin McDonough, and starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, will be shown on Saturday, February 4th, and Tuesday, February 7th. Showtimes are 7.30 p.m. for all screenings. Tickets are $7 for adults, $6.50 for Opera House members, and $5 for students, and are available at the door only. You can hear more about Empire of Light from Paul Preston of The Movie Guys on the January 11th edition of this podcast. The Kaleidoscope series at the Rockefeller Arts Center will be presenting Johnny Piers and the Muttville Comics on Saturday, February 4th, with two shows, one beginning at 2 p.m., and an evening show at 7 p.m. in the Marvel Theater. Johnny leads over a dozen dogs through challenging and hilarious tricks as he plays the straight man role in this show for the whole family and the dog lover in all of us. The show is recommended for children age 5 to 95. Tickets can be purchased online at www.fredonia.edu backslash tickets or by calling the campus box office at 716-673-3501. The School of Music has the following events scheduled. The Fredonia Flute Festival will take place on Sunday, January 29th from 12 to 4.30 p.m. with a recital by guest artists Richard Sherman on flute and Yi Fei Chen on piano at 5 p.m. Guest artist Peter Steiner will give a trombone recital on Friday, February 3rd, from 8 to 10 p.m. The Fredonia Bass Fest will take place on Sunday, February 5th from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. and also from 7.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. Putting It Together, the music of Stephen Sondheim will be presented by the members of the voice faculty on Sunday, February 5th from 2 to 3.30 p.m. All these events will be in the Roush Recital Hall and are free and open to the public. Finally, local artist and Westfield native Sarah Baker Mahalik will have an opening reception for the exhibition of her work at the Brenda Eno Art Gallery in the Lakeshore Center for the Arts in Westfield on Friday, February 3rd, beginning at 7 p.m. If you have a coming arts event and would like to get it mentioned on the arts calendar, send an email to operahouse at fredopera.org or call the box office at 716-679-1891 with your information. Love letters straight from your heart Keep us so near 
And speaking of the Lakeshore Center for the Arts, their latest theatrical production will be a presentation of the well-loved A.R. Gurney play, Love Letters. The play has become a Valentine's Day staple in the theater world, and I finally had a chance to talk with Mr. Rick Mascaro, the executive director of the Lakeshore Center for the Arts, and also the director of Love Letters, about this production, as well as the many aspects of the center itself. And joining me now is Mr. Rick Mascaro. Rick is the executive director of the Lakeshore Center for the Arts. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Why, thank you. Glad to be here, Tom. Glad to have you. Now, uh, let me start by saying that, uh, you know, I, I, I discovered, in a way, the, the Lakeshore Center for the Arts uh, just last spring, last May, when the uh, president of your board, I believe, Tina Rouse, she's an old, old friend and colleague of mine, and she invited me out to see it. And I was really amazed at the place. And so I knew that one day I was going to say, I've got to get Rick on the on the uh, podcast to talk about it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have you aboard. So I, I think the first thing I want uh, to get you to do is to give us an overview of the Lakeshore Center for the Arts and, and the various kinds of things that it offers to the community. Well, this is a mission that started in 2012 when I moved back to Westfield from South Carolina. I had been in, I had been in uh, theater arts and education all my working career and promised myself when I left Westfield that I'd return to Westfield to help uh, start the endeavor again, which we did. Uh, came back in 2012. We started as a, a traveling show, as it were, by doing everything that we did uh, in restaurants and, and bars and, and, and libraries, et cetera. And finally, in 2017, we moved into 49 South Portage Street and totally refurbished that facility as our current home. And it's still growing. Uh, yeah, it's still it, it it really is still growing. I imagine the pandemic had a little bit of an effect on you. Well, it had a big giant effect on us for sure, and uh, but we got a lot done while we were kind of sitting low in the water waiting for things to start again. But we we did manage to utilize that time effectively and and opened up some new rooms and some new programs and all kind of stuff like that. So it worked out not bad. Well, let me talk real quickly about all the spaces that there are in the uh, uh, Lakeshore Center for the Arts, because it's not just, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with the theater end of it, but, you know, there are just so many different spaces. There's the Innovation Studio, there's the Brenda Eno Art Gallery, there's the Lorna Penny Suite, and of course, the Jacqueline Phillips Theater, the Bill Ross Recital Hall. I mean, wow. Can you give us a brief synopsis of each place, perhaps? Is that possible? Sure. Uh, primarily, we started as having the theater be the the uh, ground point for for the organization, but it has grown to a lot more than that. Uh, Jackie Phillips, who is who is on our board and also works uh, with helping to get funding for our organization, uh, the theater was named after her, the Jacqueline Phillips Theater. Uh, we do a number of plays in there every year. We try to do something at least every quarter, and we're trying to get something going uh, a lot more frequently than that. Um, and this is open. Our, our auditions are open our, 
from people to, from uh, Buffalo to to northeast Pennsylvania, well, Erie, and up to Jamestown. I try to stay out of Jamestown because Jamestown has so much going on of, of its own. But that's that's the Jackie Phillips Theater. Bill Ross Recital Hall, we have ongoing uh, performances of, of soloists, of trios, of, of small groups. We've had... Uh, Buff State University coming. We just had a, a, a bell choir there for Christmas, uh, that sort of thing. So we do a lot of things in the Bill Ross. Now, the Brenda Eno Gallery uh, is, is really not a room per se unto itself. It is the entire it is the entire facility that we use for hanging various shows and various people throughout the year. Um, and our and and we have our our art director keeps that full and busy all year long. Um, we're we're constantly doing plays, concerts, various classes, writers groups. We just had a writers class last night that I that that we are very very busy with. Uh, community initiatives, all things going, all kind of things going on through us. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the digital innovation studio. I find that particular space very fascinating. Well, you know what? What we have in the in the innovation lab is something that that people don't realize how much is there that they can use. You can you can work on uh, photography. You can work on movie making. You can work on editing. You can work on any kind of point of digitization that you need to 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 create and and create art with it. Uh, the founder of that again is is Jackie Phillips, and Jackie has kind of dedicated her her last year at least and a lot more to making that the little jewel that it is, and it is a little jewel. Um, that's a good one. You need to come down and check her out. Yeah, I do because it's uh, it's it looks like a a, a, a wonderful space. So uh, there's a that's just a, an awful lot going on. But let me concentrate a little bit now because I know you got a show coming up. Uh, Love letters. A. R. Gurney's Love Letters is coming up in the uh, Jacqueline Phillips Theater, um, and that's always a very popular play during uh, uh, Valentine's the Valentine's um, week. Um, so uh, talk a little bit about that. Well. First of all, I adore A.R. Gurney. He was one of the most talented playwrights I know, and his being a local boy makes it even better. Uh, he's from Buffalo, for those that aren't aware. Uh, he died just recently, I, I, I think 2017, I, I think it was when, when he died just recently. But he has written and and produced a, a number of plays, the, the Love Letters probably being the most known of all of them, but he's also done The Dining Room, uh, The Cocktail Hour, Sweet Sue, uh, a number of different plays that have had great renown and, and, and played in numerous different places. Um, our version this year, actually, this will be the second time that this theater has done it, and it will be the fifth time that I've directed it with various different groups. Right. Um, the first time we did this, as Lakeshore Little Theater, uh, Diana Hammond and Alan Cook were uh, the performers in, in that version of it. Alan was a theater teacher here in Westfield for many, 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 many years. In fact, Alan taught everybody in, 
and their kids for a long, long time. He, he was here for a long time. He's in Northeast and he still does stuff with us, but uh, unfortunately that's one of the last things he's, he, he did with us. So uh-huh. we need to get him back in the fold. Now, Diana was one of his students at that time. And she, she uh, was an English teacher in Dunkirk and uh, still does a lot of theater and is still very involved with us. And we enjoy having her on board. Now, this time, I, I wanted to wait long enough so that people that had seen it the first time had could meet new personalities doing it and to be new to the play, as it were, for, for those that had not seen it before. So this time, we have chosen Doc Hamels. Do you know Doc? Uh, I saw Doc in Becky's new car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now Doc runs uh, Chautauqua Sunrise, which is the video uh, version of what you're doing here, but and it goes out uh, on TV every week, and he does a show every week about uh, the same type of things that you do. He's going to be playing the male, and uh, Joan Caruso. How do how do I how do I say this? She's my sister. She's <laughs> she, she she's fabulous. And Joni was a English teacher at Fredonia High School for 114 years. No, she wasn't there that long. For a long, long time. And, She'll get uh, you for that, Rick. <laughs> she will. That's one reason I put her put her in it so that I could get her back every now and a little bit. So she's she's a fabulous actress, and she's done a lot of theater all of her life. So she and and Doc are going to be uh, at the helm during this show and i'm really really looking forward to it we started rehearsals on it as as you know it's totally scripted you get this out they call it love letters because that's what it's about reading love letters right and um, for those that haven't seen it that that may sound like it may not be fun and interesting but i want to tell you what it's one of the most touching romantic heartbreaking plays that you'd ever want to see in your life because mm. there's there's so much love there's so much angst there's so much uh dealing with life in it yeah that's running uh, in the middle of february the 10th through the 12th and then of course a, a performance on the on february 10, 14th yeah, 10 11 12 and 14 that the the weekend dates which we have learned through experience we're doing at two o'clock because it seems everybody has something to do at night so we have found that matinees work best on Saturday and Sunday. So we're doing matinees those two days and seven o'clock on Friday and Tuesday, Valentine's Day. Excellent. That's really, that's really very good. I I, I do think it's a really great, great piece. And, you know, and A.R. Gurney, yeah, one of, he's one of America's uh, uh, great playwrights. So you really, yeah, it's hard to go, it's hard to go wrong with him actually. Um, now I, 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 I want to, uh, be able to talk about one last thing that this, that the center for the arts does, which, which again, I find absolutely, um, I w- never would have guessed that in, in Westfield, you would see something like this. And that's your juice box, organic one act festival, which is a worldwide one act kind of competition. Is it not? It is a competition. Funny thing. The funny thing is, Tom, is that this organization really started as juice box theater. When I retired, I wanted to start a, a competition and I wanted to start a playwriting uh, organization and juice box was it in the, the thinking behind juice box was one act plays small amounts of quality information in a small package one act plays so juice box since i was in westfield new york and we are the juice capital of the world so yes indeed that's that's why that came about 
Um, it has become, actually this first year of fully implementing everything we're gonna do, we, we are, we've learned a lot this year. And I was hopeful, I was hopeful to get 51 act plays before it was over with. If I got 51 act plays, I was going to be a happy man, and I thought this would be a fabulous uh, uh, event. Much <laughs> to my surprise, it just took off, and we we have gotten, like I said, we've gotten people worldwide, and um, it has become an international event, and and we have people from Canada, all over the U.S., all over the world that are that are taking part in it. Give you a brief synopsis. We get all these plays in. We read them all. Uh, the judging committee, the reading committee, gets those down to uh, the 20 top point-getting plays out of the 173 that we get. So from those 100, 173, we're going to have um, 10 comedies and 10 dramas based upon the scores given them by the judges that will be brought in and performed as readers theaters. They're not going to be produced as of yet. They will be performed in our, in our innovation studio, as a matter of fact, in that studio, they'll be created as readers theaters, which will be available for the judging criteria, to, the judging group to hear, as well as put online for um, the public to Oh, very interesting that you put it online. Yeah, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you get to hear that. From those, we narrow we narrow it down to um, five comedies and five dramas. Now, those are assigned cast and will ultimately be produced and staged May 25th, 26th, and 27th at, at our facility. And... The first, well, they will be judged by a judging committee, plus they will be judged by individuals attending performances. So if you attended a performance, you, you can vote there along with judges that are there. Mm -hmm. uh, audience members' votes will count as one. Uh, judging votes will count as one. So a one-to-one -one basis on, on the voting. So you have real input as to what's going to fly and what's not going to fly. Yeah. Winners are, are first, second, third place, all get cash awards, uh, anywhere from 300 down to $100. And fourth and fifth place receive certificates. And well, they all receive certificates, but uh, should, be a, should be an amazing weekend. We're hoping it'll turn into something so big that people will say, oh, Westfield, New York, that's that's where that big one-act competition is. That's that's what I'd like for it to be, you know? Well, you know, I wish you a lot of luck with that because I I, I, I honestly think that the kinds of things that I see going on there are very, very, very attractive. And the region should know a little bit more about what you're doing at the, the Lakeshore Center for the Arts. Listen, thank <laughs> you very much for your time. I appreciate it. I appreciate learning all about the... Uh, uh, Lakeshore Center for the Arts and letting the uh, the region know about it and and uh, uh, I hope you have a lot of success with this uh, spring season that's coming up for yourself. Well, I thank you and I and I thank you for talking with us today. All right, Here's thank you. you very much, Rick. I appreciate thanks, Tom. Appreciate right. it. We'll see bye -bye. you soon. Bye bye. Love letters by A. R. Gurney will be presented in the Jacqueline Phillips Theater in the Lakeshore Center for the Arts on February tenth, eleventh, twelfth and 14th. 
The February 10th and 14th productions will be at 7 p.m., while the Saturday and Sunday weekend performances, February 11th and 12th, will be at 2 p.m. Tickets are $20 for the general public and can be purchased online at www.lakeshorecenterforthearts.com. Click on the Buy Tickets button on the home page of the website to purchase tickets. You can also call 716-224-2135 for general information or assistance with purchasing tickets. And that's it for this Lunar New Year edition of Notes from the Isle Seat. My thanks to Dr. Jim Ivey, Dr. Chen Yi, and Mr. Rick Mascaro for being my guests on this episode. Notes from the Isle Seat is a production of the 1891 Fredonia Opera House in Fredonia, New York. For more information on any of the Opera House's events, call the box office at 716-679-1891, visit the website at www.fredopera.org, or email at operahouse at fredopera.org. Notes from the Isle Seat is now available wherever you get your podcasts and also on the Opera House YouTube channel. If you like this podcast, please consider following us by clicking the follow button on our homepage at isleseat.podbean.com and spreading the word through your social media feeds. If you have an arts event you'd like mentioned on the podcast, why don't you drop us a line at operahouse at fredopera.org and we'll see about featuring your event. Please try to give us a month's advance notice if possible to facilitate timely scheduling. If you have any suggestions, comments, or criticisms of the podcast, just drop us a line at operahouse at fredopera.org. We'll be glad to receive your feedback. Our next episode will be available on Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. I'm Tom Laughlin, and until then, be safe out there and be kind to one another. Thank you.